0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Misericordius Domini means the steadfast love of the Lord. Today we hear of the Lord's steadfast love as Christ tells us that he is the Good Shepherd, and the Good Shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In this we see the Lord's steadfast love. His mercy, His loving kindness, that the Good Shepherd willingly gives His life on behalf of His sheep, that He lays down His life so that they may live. For this reason, today is also known as Good Shepherd Sunday. so let us consider our Lord's words, by which He describes Himself as the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd, says the Lord. He does not say, I am the shepherd who is good, which is one way it could have been put in the Greek. Nor does he say, I am a good shepherd, but he says, I am the good shepherd. The Lord Jesus puts himself into a class and category of his own. There were many shepherds of Israel in the past as kings were called shepherds. They were called by God to shepherd his people, Israel. There were some that were good shepherds. There were good kings, but there were none who were close to being the good shepherd. And now, too, the Lord Jesus sends shepherds to his flock to shepherd them under him. Those are they who occupy the office of the holy ministry. They, too, are sent by Christ as shepherds. The word pastor, after all, is simply the Latin word for shepherd. But no matter how good any particular pastor is, no matter how well or faithfully he performs the duties of his office, he can never become close to being the good shepherd. They are sent by him, but they cannot live and be like him in this way. Jesus alone is the good shepherd, for he alone gives his life for the sheep. This is what makes him the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Many shepherds very well may die in the service of Christ's flock. At the age of 86, Polycarp, the disciple of John the Evangelist, and Bishop of Smyrna, was burned at the stake and had a sword thrust through his heart rather than renounce Christ. This witness encouraged the flock of God throughout the world, but it did not and could not save or deliver them. He gave his life while serving the sheep, but he did not give his life for the sheep. For when Christ says the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, It speaks of substitution. Yes, the good shepherd gives his life in place of the sheep. The sheep had all strayed. We, like sheep, had gone astray, writes Isaiah while prophesying of Jesus' death. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The good shepherd gives his life in place of the sheep who have gone astray. He gives his life to save them, shedding his blood that they may live. Normally, if a shepherd dies while protecting his flock, he has now left that flock at the mercy of the merciless wolf. But Christ, in giving his life for the sheep, defeats sin, death, and the wolf that is the devil, so that taking his life back up again in the resurrection, he might always be with his flock. This is why he is the good shepherd, and why no one else can do this. No one else can come close to this. Christ Jesus alone saves the sheep through his death and resurrection. Only a few verses prior, before our gospel lesson starts, he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it in abundance. This life only comes through his giving of his life on behalf of the sheep. His death alone has the ability to take away sin and death the penalty of sin. He gave his life of his own accord. He gave it having taken our sins upon himself. He gave it so that we may not die eternally, but rather live eternally. And how else can you describe eternal life than life in abundance? Because of this, he is the good shepherd. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, St. Peter writes that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. He gives his life for us, and now that we, through faith in him, receive his benefits that he won for us by giving his life—the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Not only does the Good Shepherd give his life, but he knows his sheep. I am the Good Shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own as the father knows me even so i and even so i know the father and i lay down my life for the sheep of course this knowing of the shepherd and sheep is not the same as the son knowing the father and the father and the son because that is a perfect whole and complete knowing that only god can have of himself but jesus uses this comparison so that we may see just how intimately he knows us and we know him, that he is willing to say that his relationship to his flock is a reflection of his relationship to his Father. Such is the sweet and divine relationship between the Savior and the saved. As we grow in faith, as we love him more and more, we continue to know him more, better and better. As we realize who he is and what he has done to save us, we understand more deeply who he is in relationship to us. And the sheep which the Good Shepherd is talking about, which he says that he knows, are not only the sheep of his own time and place, but are all those who believe in him of all times and of all places. He knew you. Brothers and sisters, long before you were born, and with you in mind, he gave up his life so that you may live, so that he might take away your sin by his death and give you life. He demonstrates this when he says, Other sheep I have that are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. When he says this, he's speaking to the Jewish people, we must remember, in the hearing of the Pharisees. He is telling them that because of what he will do as the Good Shepherd by giving his life, there will be a new covenant. In his death and life, he fulfills the old covenant. His death inaugurates a new one, one where ancestry doesn't determine one's membership in God's people, but faith in Christ in this way there's no distinction between Jew or Greek as or Gentile as all are saved in the same way all are members of his flock only by God's grace received through faith all likewise are called by the gospel there is not one way to be saved for the Jews and another way to be saved for the Gentiles there is one flock and one shepherd that flock is the Church of Christ. It does not exist in a singular outward institution, but it is the a, a deeper and true union, the one communion of saints, whereby faith, all who are united to Christ and strengthened together in one spiritual body. Wherever there are those who trust in Jesus, there is one who is united to him and a part of his flock. There he alone is the sole true shepherd who watches over his flock. He is the one who knows his sheep. No one can claim to be universal shepherd of the flock, for that title alone belongs to Christ, the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All other shepherds and overseers in the kingdom of God are under-shepherds of Christ. They feed and watch the flock, by his command and in his stead but the sheep do not belong to them but to christ who purchased them with his blood this he did when he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we having died to sins might live to righteousness by whose stripes you were healed once we were like sheep having gone astray but now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls as we were called through by the Holy Spirit through the gospel to the flock of Christ. And now that we are his sheep, now that we have been healed, now that our shepherd has given his life to pay the price for our sins, how ought we live as his sheep? St. Peter writes that Christ has done all of this so that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness. We have died to sins, brothers and sisters, through our baptism into Christ. There we were united to Christ's death and resurrection. Through it we have died to sin that we might live in the righteousness of Christ with which God clothes us. We have died to sins so that we may be saved from our sin because he is our shepherd and he has borne them in his body on the tree of the cross. Having been saved from our sins by such an act of love and self-sacrifice, why would we return to them? Our sins are those things that bring us death. They are what alienated us from God. Since Christ has taken them upon himself and died so that, being forgiven, we might live and be at peace with God, why go back to them? Why return to slavery when we have been set free? Why willingly go to the jaws of the wolf when we are under the care and watch of the shepherd? Do not get me wrong. I am not saying that your life now will or must be perfect in order to be a Christian. Truly, we daily sin much because of the weakness of our flesh, even in ways that we don't know or understand. But we who have been rescued from sin and death and the devil by our Lord Jesus Christ, having died to sin, that we might live to righteousness, means that we did not willingly seek out sin. That we did not adopt an attitude of, God forgives, so it doesn't really matter. That doesn't come from faith, but rather it ultimately destroys faith. As Christ's sheep were called to daily die to sin through repentance and through contrition or sorrow over our sin, and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This attitude is displayed in the morning and evening prayers of both the Catechism and of Matins and Vespers. We ask that as we wake, God would keep us from sin, and that as we lie down to sleep, we ask that he would forgive us our sins, which we have inevitably committed this day. This is the life of of a sheep of christ one that forsakes sin and does not seek it out but still continues to ask christ our shepherd that he would keep us away from it and at the same time acknowledges that we are weak and poor and that we have sinned and require his forgiveness which he daily supplies according to his steadfast love so too as his sheep we are to live to righteousness as he is our shepherd and overseer of our souls We are to follow him in his example. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges justly. Christ willingly suffered for us that we might be his own and live under him in his kingdom, And if he, our Lord and our Master, suffered and did not retaliate, we too ought to follow him and so commend ourselves to God when we suffer or are reviled for the faith. Indeed, as the culture around us changes and drifts further and further away from what Christ teaches in the Church, more and more we will find ourselves at odds with those in the world. As a result, more and more we will find ourselves being reviled. Following Christ, then, we do not revile in return, but commit ourselves to God. Through this we live in Christ's righteousness, and the Lord sanctifies us as we trust in him. So, too, this plays out for us in our other sufferings, be they anguish of body, mind, or soul. Such sickness and affliction comes because we're sinful creatures and our flesh is fallen. Sin brought these things into the world, and likewise because of that we suffer them in this life. We undergo such suffering, and when we undergo it as Christians, as sheep of Christ, we suffer with him who suffered for us. They, these sufferings, then become crosses which we bear. In such suffering, we commend ourselves to God, trusting in his mercy that he will use these sufferings, these crosses, to sanctify us, that he will use them to our eternal good. Rather than turning against God, we have faith that he will grant us healing and relief. This may come in this life, or it may come in the resurrection. In either case, we say, thy will be done. As our Lord Himself taught us to pray, and as He Himself prayed in the garden, when in agony his sweat was mingled with His blood. This is our good shepherd, who gave his life for the sheep. And this giving of his life is the supreme act of love. And so as his sheep, we too ought to follow him in loving one another and our neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of and summary of the law. The positive commands of the commandments in the Catechism wonderfully show us how this love is ordered, that we love and honour our parents and those in authority, that we care for the bodily needs of our neighbours, that we live lives of chastity, that we give to the poor and needy and do not take advantage of our neighbour, that we speak well of and defend them, that we encourage them and bear them up, in their burdens. To summarize another way, love is putting others' needs first. It is seeking their welfare and their good. And how else could we describe the love of Christ, the Good Shepherd, other than seeking the welfare of others first? Indeed, he is the Good Shepherd because he gave his life for the sheep. He willingly took our sins upon himself, our death, upon himself, that we may be set free. Such is his great love for us. Such is his steadfast love. And how great is this love for us, that to redeem the sheep the shepherd gives his life. And now risen from the dead, he who died to save us lives to guide, watch, protect, and love us. Truly Misericordius Domini plena est terra, The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And now may the Lord, the Good Shepherd, keep you constant in the faith according to his steadfast love, that you may be raised to eternal life on the last day, and be part of the one flock under the one shepherd. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, Amen.